Good day to you, and welcome to Fascinating. I'm your host, Rick, from Planet Vulcan. In this installment of Fascinating, senior contributing editor Prego Donata reviews two books that are related to topics we have been discussing. The Self-Organizing Economy by Paul Krugman and The Mind of the Market by Michael Shermer. Paul Krugman is a winner of the Nobel Prize in Economics for his studies of international trade and now works primarily as a columnist for the New York Times. Michael Shermer is an authority on the history of science and an advocate for scientific skepticism. For many years he wrote a column for Scientific American magazine called Skeptic. He has authored a number of books. Prego submits the following. The self-organizing economy and the mind of the market both deal with the autonomous functioning of markets. Both authors present the same concept of emergent order as it applies to economics, but there is an interesting, might I even say fascinating, contrast between their conclusions. Professor Krugman's book grew out of a series of lectures he presented at the University of Birmingham in 1994. In his preface, he writes the following. I believe that the ideas of self-organization theory can add substantially to our understanding of the economy. Whatever their ultimate usefulness, these ideas are very exciting and playing around with them is tremendous fun. He goes on to demonstrate how we can gain insight into such phenomena as the evolution of cities and the booms and busts of the business cycle. He draws parallels between the behavior of economic systems and various physical phenomena such as percolation theory and phase locking. And in his characteristic scholarly way, he talks about modeling both spatial and temporal self-organization, and even includes a very mathy and erudite exposition of several of his models. This is clearly the work of a man of towering intellect and abundant energy. In his concluding thoughts, he writes the following. What good is the idea of a self-organizing economy? Well, anything that makes us reconsider the way we think about economics is bound to have policy relevance, but at this point I have no recommendations to offer. He goes on to say that there does not seem to be anything of immediate use. To this reviewer, it is simply astonishing that Professor Krugman seems to miss what quickly becomes evident to most people when they encounter the principle of self-organization. If you are acquainted with Krugman's ideas, you know that he supports the idea that regulatory intervention and strong leadership are necessary to achieve order and good outcomes. You would think that when a supporter of this policy agenda achieves an understanding of the idea of self-organization, they could not help but notice that the rationale for intervention and regulation is weak. We do not need anyone to assume a position of authority in an attempt to command behavior and control outcomes. And that realization applies as well to the argument that, sure, without intervention, we will get outcomes that will probably be efficient, but they won't be the outcomes we want. 
With sufficient time spent pondering evolution and with insights gained, most people will likely come to the conclusion that the idea that we can control outcomes is an illusion. We are not architects and builders, we are cultivators. As the eminent Chinese philosopher Bruce Lee noted, in all of this talk about means and ends, we must remind ourselves that we cannot choose ends, we can only choose means. The school of thought that recommends interventions does not have a good track record, to put it mildly. Think of the cruelty and horrors of the schools American Indian children were forced into for their own good. Think of eugenics, an idea which everyone finally realized was awful when the Nazi regime in Germany brought it to its logical conclusion. Think of national economic planning, which resulted in appalling misery and death for tens of millions of people in the 20th century. Think of the war on poverty, of which a charitable assessment would be that it, ha that it has had very little positive impact. A more realistic assessment would be that it has made things worse by trapping people in a cycle of dependency and by breaking down family structures. Authoritarian interventionists have, unsurprisingly, developed remarkable facility in backpedaling and in creating new rationales in order to achieve and to remain in positions of authority, which suggests that for many of them it's all about the authority, even if they perfunctorily promise to use their power only for good. They are helped by the fact that the public has a short memory and that many people are easily misled. The consistent failures of interventionist policies has not so far become a significant liability. New rationales for intervention include such things as income inequality, systemic racism, climate change. The interventionist line in all of these areas, even if the reality of self-regulation is recognized, is that things will turn out badly if we do not meet the challenges that face us by creating government agencies with limitless authority and huge budgets, which will then solve problems with directed collective action. Krugman's thinking is certainly not shallow, so why does he persist in his support for intervention? One can only speculate, but there are some clues. For one, there is a strong moral undercurrent in his writings, consisting primarily of concern for the care of the less fortunate among us. He appears to believe that not supporting the interventionist program would be a betrayal of his deepest convictions. He apparently is unable to imagine a future in which the poor can possibly be cared for, unless the care is under the direction of the institution of government. I suspect that an even stronger motivation is evident in his statement that he admires Isaac Asimov's foundation series of science fiction novels, in which a social scientist rescues civilization using the science of psychohistory. He seems to see himself in a similar role and cannot imagine a future in which his advice to the people who are running things is not indispensable. 
I, for one, would love to see the good Krugman could do if he were to turn the power of his formidable intellect to the service of deep science. Instead of frittering away his high-opportunity-cost time with all of his analyses and proposals about how to arrange the deck chairs, with the web of anecdotes that he weaves into a tapestry to illustrate who are the current good guys and bad guys, a true masterpiece of policy-based evidence. And with accusations of not just wrong, but evil, that he and his political opponents exchange. The mind of the market begins with a recognition that human society in recent millennia has gone through a transformational development, and ranges widely through discussions of various interrelated topics. It demonstrates a deep understanding of the implications of the self-organization idea as it applies to how human society has been and is still being transformed. Hint, it has not come about by directed collective action. Shermer shows how a market economy behaves like a superorganism with a mind of its own. He shows how the way of thinking engendered by a study of evolution what philosopher Daniel Dennett of Tufts University refers to as universal acid that nothing can contain, how this way of thinking permeates everything, and calls for a reappraisal to the very roots of many disciplines, including the study of economics. He demonstrates that self-organization is what happens, even if we do not believe in it, and even if we believe we will be able to replace our evolved system with a constructed system. Results in real life inevitably come about by the chips falling where they may, and as a result of the way the wood is being chopped. Even if you sincerely believe that we can construct a different outcome with a program that begins by voting it into law. But if we don't like where the chips are falling, wouldn't our efforts be better directed towards influenced the chopping process, and not by relying on the institution of government to fulfill the role of deus ex machina. Shermer also provides an insightful discussion of the relatively new field of behavioral economics, a field that depends on laboratory-like experimentation to test various hypotheses about how people actually behave or at least about how people answer questions about how they would behave. The results of these interviews are then compared to how economists have traditionally assumed people behave for purposes of economic model building. If you are interested in looking deeper into this fascinating topic, I recommend having a look at the book Thinking Fast and Slow by psychologists Daniel Kahneman and the late Amos Tversky who tested many behavioral hypotheses and were able to come up with some interesting generalizations about how people actually make decisions. Kahneman was awarded a Nobel Prize in economics for his research, even though he is not an economist by profession. To his credit, Kahneman was modest, more modest than many of his readers, in appraising the impact of his findings on how economics is done. He said simply that if economic theory is based on an assumption of rational behavior, 
perhaps the assumption should be re-evaluated. Many of our fellows in discussing his work have been overly eager in this reviewer's opinion to reject traditional economic models that are based on assumptions of rationality, especially the models that lead to different conclusions than the ones they want to see. But many models are based on unrealistic assumptions, and the true test of a model is whether or not it is useful. A map, for example, is not useless as a model just because it is a two-dimensional representation of a three-dimensional reality and because it omits a lot of detail. I believe the models so many of those in our midst are so eager to jettison at least provide insight into what rationality would look like, even if people are not generally rational. After all, some individuals and some businesses make good decisions by design, and others make good decisions by accident. Reality rewards good decisions however they are made, so there is a winnowing effect that takes place at the level of the superorganism we call the economy. What happens in the economy, therefore, does not necessarily reflect the thinking habits of the individuals, but instead reflects a variance in successful outcomes. To say that the assumption of rationality is a flaw in the models is like saying that insect colonies cannot function because the bugs aren't smart. Kahneman's modesty was warranted. In a particularly interesting turn, Shermer also turns his reasoning skills toward the evolution of morality questioning the long-dominant belief that there can never be a way of deriving ought from is, topics usually referred to as normative versus positive, and topics he revisits in his book, The Science of Good and Evil, Another Good Read. Many thanks to Prego for these reviews. Be sure to have a listen to the next installment of Fascinating. Please provide feedback to these podcasts if you are so inclined. You may contact me by sending an email to our senior contributing editor, Prego Donata, pregodonata at gmail.com. Live long and prosper.